Hi, everybody. It's Ann Duffy. Welcome to Dental Entrepreneur, the Future of Dentistry podcast. I'm really excited to have my guest on today because this gentleman, Dr. Harold Sterner, was my boss for, I don't know, at least 15, 20 years. I worked in the practice 25 years, and I've been trying to get him on our podcast since the very beginning. And so here we are. He just finished his day in the office, and I want you to meet Harold Sterner. Hi, Harold. How are you? I am doing great, Anne. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm just doing good. super. It's so good to see your face, even though we're on Zoom. I'm not yeah. in the office. I miss working with you and for you in the office. I miss my patients. I miss the camaraderie had. You you really built something pretty special where you are. And I just want to thank you again for that. Thanks for saying that. There are plenty of patients that still ask about you, as you know. <laughs> and they're always like, where's that blonde young one with uh, all the enthusiasm? Where does she go? I'm That's like, well, she's on to a different career. Oh, that's me. All right. The blonde young one. I love it. We had a lot of fun. And oh my gosh, I love coming back and uh, seeing everybody because recently I was on a, a call and they were talking about their office and how everybody has smiles. And that's kind of what we experienced when we were working there with our patients and all that. But before we get started, I want to tell everybody a little bit more about you. As a studio art graduate from the University of Iowa, on a whim, he decided to take the DAT exam and voila. 30 years later, he's been a Charlotte practicing dentist for 25 years, six boys, and married to his favorite person in the world. And as he says, I quote, I'm the luckiest person I know. Harold, so good to see you. And what a bio. I thought you were going to do. He was also the best, voted the best dentist in Charlotte for, I don't know, 10 years in a row. He's got a practice that is fee for service that is phenomenal. Our collections were up. We had a great team that we worked with and with my friends and family. I'm always recommending you because you were and are the best dentist that I ever worked for. And I'm honored and happy to uh, share you today with everyone. We've had so many great discussions over the years. I love the fact that you went to art school. So a lot of our patients are surprised by that. But tell me, how did that all come about? And I want to know how the DAT came into your radar. And we've talked about a lot of these things before, but I went to sort of an artsy high school and grade school and middle school. It's, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on art, music, writing and performance and stuff like that. If you show any aptitude in any of those areas, especially, they really try to push you. When I was in 10th grade, if you had your parents' permission, you, they had nude male and female models coming in that you could draw and paint and stuff I like that. Yeah. In Rhode Island? Okay. Yeah. We were a couple miles from Rhode Island School of Design. Wow. We were across the street from Brown University. Very liberal, explorative type educations. Some of our classes were at RISD. Some of our classes were at Brown. The Wheeler School. It was a great experience for pretty much everybody who went there. We were all very lucky to go. And it's not like your typical private school that's elitist so much. It really was more about taking those kids, finding what their interests were, finding mm. what their talents were, and really squeezing everything they could out of that. I played music since I was a little kid, piano, clarinet, saxophone. And so they would say, well, Harold, we're going to put a band together and you're going to do a studio album and you're going to put the album for sale in the local record stores. So, what? yeah. What? So in the midst of doing studio art, I was also doing that too. And we were playing on the basketball team, playing on the soccer team, playing on the lacrosse team, all those other things, you know, or playing in the uh, orchestra for Sound of Music or any of those things. So you were really busy doing good stuff. And some of the stuff sticks. Teachers would come up to me in high school and be like, hey, I kind of want to buy that painting you have on display in the 
studio art display thing. I'm like, oh, really? Great. You know, you start to go, maybe I should try out this art thing and see how it goes in college. So my mom was also a master's in fine arts. And okay. so she, they were all for it. So I just said, I'm going to be a studio art major in college. By the time I graduated, I started to realize, okay, I really want to have a family. I really want to have a little bit more predictability in my life than a studio art major or an artist, the starving, struggling artist, a lifestyle. I started exploring other things. And I'm sitting there as a senior with most of my requirements done. And I go, I'm not done. I don't feel like I'm, I'm ready to go to that next step yet. So I said, what's the hardest thing I can be? Because I, I did have some scholastic aptitude and I wanted to give it a whirl. So I said, let's do pre-med. So I took all the requirements for pre-med. And my girlfriend at the time was in the hygiene program, getting her BS in hygiene at Iowa. Oh, I'm learning a lot. And maybe I forgot about this, but I'll keep going. This no, is amazing. I, I, you know, it, there are details sometimes I leave out just because it takes forever. But my girlfriend at the time was like, wow, you do all this cool jewelry and these cool little drawings and sculptures and things. You should look into dentistry because that's what dentists do is they're working in that smaller miniature type realm. And it's very fit and finish oriented. And all your stuff is like that. And at first they said, ah, how boring. I don't want to be a dentist. But I still was doing the pre-med thing. I applied to medical schools. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll take the DAT. She was like, oh, this is so cool. You know, I'm a hygienist. You can be a dentist. So I go ahead and take the DAT and the MCAT. And the DAT had a very elaborate part of the exam that was all spatial orientation and design and graphics and stuff. And that was really easy for me. I didn't study for that, of course, but I just was like, okay, boom, easy. And so I go to interview for a dental school. Like, wow, you really aced the DAT. I'm like, I did? Because I, <laughs> I was paying attention to the MCAT part, yeah. which I did just average on. So then I'm like, wow, these the people at the dental school were like really interested in the fact that I was an art major. Like, you're the only art major in the college. I'm like, that seems weird, but how could there not be more art people here? Science people don't know how to draw well, probably, and don't know how to sculpt stuff. Anyway, so I started to warm up to this whole dental school thing. And I said, they are very interested in me. Let's go ahead and do this. So I did. Oh, my gosh. That is uh, more information than I've ever. I love that so much. And that explains why you're such an excellent dentist. I will tell you, you know, a lot of time people will go into a profession not knowing what they're really good at and then building on that. And here you are really accomplished in art, which dentistry is an art. I mean, it brings me to the question, is dentistry more of art or science? Or I'm is it glad you asked that question because if I was having somebody holding a handpiece in my mouth with a very destructive bird tip at the end of it, I would want them to have the skill set of being able to do the calligraphy for my wedding invitations. I would Ooh. want that level of fit. I would want their hands to be like velvet. I don't want a lumberjack in there. I want a violinist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So with hands and fingers and eyes that are to die for. And from what I see when I have patients come from other offices, we get a few too many lumberjacks out there. It's a little frightening to be able to have a touch, you know, discern a quarter millimeter, to be able to discern a margin with a 30 or 25 degree angle of inclination. These are things that I sometimes are just going to escape the one-sided brain approach that a scientist might have, that a science major might have, and is very appealing to me. I don't think that the science in dentistry is that difficult to teach or learn. It's the doing the dentistry that's way at a high level. Okay, dentistry is easy. 
the top of the line dentistry is very, very difficult. It's very artistic, isn't it? Honestly, you asked, is it more art, more science, or a little bit of both? It's 80% art at least, if not 90%. There's a lot of science in it, but I don't have to know anything about it. It's mm. not like I have to understand formulas or much about it. If somebody cleans houses for a living, they don't have to know exactly how ammonia and bleach and all these other things work. They just have to know where to use what. They just have to have a basic working knowledge of how it works. And I think yeah. dentistry is that same way. For example, we just, the patient I just finished up with, we were replacing a crown on number nine. Oh boy. And previously I'd had to bond some to number eight on the mesial aspect on the corner where she had broken a piece. She had gorgeous teeth. And I had made the bonding to sort of match in with the crown, which wasn't that good. But I wanted her to look nice and be happy. So I think it may have escaped her level of fit and finish. She just thought it all looked great. So when the crown had to be replaced because it broke off and the buildup broke off inside it, so we had to take it all apart and do it all over again. Now I can take the bonding, make it idealized for that tooth where it's absolutely perfect. Now we're going to make the crown match the tooth with the mm. bond. So we had started out making the bonding match the crown. Now the crown is going to match the bonding. And you were so excited, weren't you? Oh my gosh, I've been talking <laughs> about it all day. I know you, yes. The yin-yang of that, being able to, I'm going to have the bonding match the crown, and then seven years later, when I take it all apart, now the crown has to match this perfect bonding. And she walked out going, oh my gosh, this is way better than it's ever looked. I'm like, yeah, we know how to make a temporary look nice. And she looked better than she had ever looked. and. Now she's going to do a whitening, an in-office whitening. And we made one other temporary out of a bleach-colored temporary shade. So when she does the bleaching and the teeth are whiter, we're going to pop off the A1 temporary and put a bleach shade temporary on. It's just an extra little bell and whistle. Doesn't cost oh anything. Gosh. We just thought it'd be fun. That's so beautiful. We want to have a healthy smile, but we want a beautiful smile. And the artistic nature that you bring to that clinical aspect it's really magic sometimes. I mean, because I know it, I've it, seen you, you yeah. get so excited. Yeah, I'm right now I'm almost like goosebumpy because it's so exciting to talk about. Yes, I've been talking about it all day and now I get to talk about it again. And, you know, you have a nice young lady. She's 40 years old, beautiful teeth, beautiful smile. And for her to be able to walk out and go, this is better than ever. Yeah. And then it's going to get better again with the bleaching. And then the final crown will be the best to just be able to give her that a lot of people are going to be anxious about the whole thing. She's been with me a while. You would know the patient, too. I'm not going to say her name, well, but you okay. would know. And she's been here, coming here for 25 years or so, maybe even 35 years. Since wow. she was little, she's 40. So she's been coming well, here no since she's a girl. no wonder you're excited. You've been dying to do this. I've been you know, dying to replace that crown. For, and I you're think, so conservative. You don't usually replace right. things gonna, unless right. they're, they need replacing. That's right. Oh, my God. That's so cool. That's the thing we were talking earlier is, and you've got a new associate. It's like, it's so hard sometimes to like refer to others that have worked in the practice because we believe you've done such great work. But again, now it's in your space now, it's like you are advocating for others and mentoring others and teaching others. And I can see that in your future because you get so excited. And I get excited about dentistry when I'm talking to you. I miss that, those, <laughs> yeah. those well, chats. We both, we both yeah. do that to each other, obviously. I know. It's so funny. I still, people say, oh, do you miss, do you miss clinical? And I'm like, yeah, I really miss it. And there's not a lot of hygienists out there. They're like, I really miss clinical. But I had the gift of working for you and actually not killing myself five days a week which that's another topic we can talk about on another yep. podcast that we have. Right. So another question I have for you. Okay, so we have the dental service and we have dental business. And, and are they the same or different? I know you have a different take on this. So tell me what your take is on dental service versus dental business. 
unfortunately, dental business has taken such a priority in most people's practices that the dental service has gone to seemingly virtual zero. The way people practice dentistry these days is their business plan is what can I get away with? How many incipient lesions do I see on a radiograph interproximal? I can say, look, you need eight fillings. It's almost a daily occurrence where I have a patient who has now grown up. They're 26, 27. They move away. They see a dentist in New Jersey. This is so typical. It's not even funny. They call me. They say, Dr. Sterner, dentist says I have 10 cavities, at least eight up to 14. I'm like, well, according to your chart, you've never had a filling before. And now you have 14. I look at the x-rays that are two years old. I'm like, as of two years ago, you had none. Well, Dr. Stern, they were asking me, am I like drinking soda all the time? But, well, I work out and I drink Gatorade. And they're like, oh, Gatorade, there you go. That's the reason. I'm like, okay, please do nothing. I'm going to call the dentist, try to find out, do some reconnaissance. In the meantime, when are you coming back to visit mom and dad? Oh, it's, you know, Thanksgiving's a month away. I'm like, okay, don't do anything. Come back, see me, no charge. I'll figure this out. Talk to the dentist. They show me the x-rays they have. It's the same thing I saw you know, little tiny things from 10 and 12 and 15 years ago when they were 10 years old, 12 years old, going through braces, they ended up with a couple incipient lesions, which I never treated because I didn't need to be. And 12 years, 15 years later, they have the exact same size lesion with barely not even penetrating through the enamel and it hasn't grown at all. And of course, I have this ability to see this retrospectively. I have all the x-rays. That dentist should have asked me for those x-rays. They could have done the homework themselves. So I call the dentist. They point out these things. And I'm like, gee, I, I really feel like it's aggressives. And the risk of, a, of an interproximal resin leaking by the average dentist these days, I'm saying is one in four. There's a one in four chance that resin is going to leak because of improper protocol and isolation being the protocol that's most often violated. And they're going to end up with a bigger area of decay and a bigger filling, if not a root canal. I've seen it happen too many times. Anyway, the patient comes to the office. I examine them clinically very, very carefully. I take new x-rays, no charge. I look at everything. Not one thing I would do. Not one Mm. thing. And so someone's recommending at least eight interproximal resins and maybe an occlusal here or there on some pits. And I recommend nothing. This is the state of dentistry, a huge disparity in the recommended treatment. Going forward, this is horrible that consumers have, or patients, call them what you will, are faced with that sort of a disparity in the level of intervention. And how can we go forward if there's that much disagreement on how to treat and take care of people? It's awful. Yeah, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because I I remember a couple patients that I saw that had the fillings done. And, and I awful. saw the x-rays before and I'm like, oh my gosh. And they, and they're just distraught. They're like, I don't understand how this happened. They blame themselves. They feel terrible. Harold, this is the thing, or I'm going to call you Harold because, you yep. know, we go way back. Please do. When I got into the DSO arena, I realized there are good DSOs and they're not so good DSOs. And there's some good private practitioners and there's not some good private practitioners. So That's I try right. not to blanket it all. But I feel you and I, it's just absolutely heartbreaking because you have a responsibility when you're taking a drill, like you said earlier with the drill, you're just killing a tooth, if you will, and setting that person up for a lifetime of dental work. So we have to like, if you're out there listening, you do not want to be that kind of dentist and you don't want to go to that kind of dentist. And the smart thing that that patient did was to call you up and ask you if that's okay. Because if you get diagnosed with that many cavities and you've never had a cavity, stop, drop, and (laughs) And roll, roll. and roll. Stop, drop, and roll. Because 
It Get just, out of there. I've had the privilege of working for you who has great integrity. And I, you know, everyone that I say is like, if you need it, he'll tell you. If you don't need it, he will tell you. But you'll be 100% sure that you are getting the best care that you stand by. That's called excellent dentistry. And that's what our profession needs more and more of. I'm hoping that that'll happen. And I think some of the things you just mentioned earlier, too, about who is getting into dental school. They need to be having some kind of an artistic nature in their gifts. You've got to be able to see color, the nuance of what it takes to craft. Well, so for example, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll say, "What about the texture?" They're like, "Texture, huh? Texture? Texture is so critical for the reflection of light to give you that natural mm. look." And some people just have no clue what you're talking about, Dennis. I'm talking about Dennis. Yeah. Dennis don't have a clue. For certain, they weren't taught it. If I see how dentistry tries so hard to maintain its doctor status and scientific background and evidence based, and the reality is that. I'm making stuff up on the fly 24-7 here based on guardrails, which I've practiced incessantly for 25 years. I expand the guardrails as my skill set increases. And I've been able to do some things for, like we had a, a person today, we're looking at the tooth, my associate and I, my associate who's been out of dental school three years, went to a two-year GPR. He's like, most people would take that tooth out and do an implant. I know that the way the tissue would be structured is the implant would not be a very high-level aesthetic result. It's the easiest thing for the dentist to do because all they have to do is take an impression for a crown and get the crown to match if they're capable of doing so. But to rebuild the tooth, even though it's damaged pretty heavily and understand physics, some of the science and understand shape and contour and stress breakers about the prep and to rebuild it in a way such that she's walking out the door and never looked better and it's done in one day. And it's really hard to do. Don't get me wrong. It is for one crown prep, three and a half hours. This is a long time. If somebody says, how long does it take you to do that? As long as it takes. That's how long it takes me to do it. And sometimes you get a three and a half hour crown prep. Yeah, it may be not making the most amount of money on that. I get that. But the satisfaction level is through the roof for mm -hmm. me. I can afford to send my kids to school. I can afford to put food on the table. I may not have a summer beach house. Okay. But that's not in my list of things to accomplish. It's not about the money. I mean, you, you'll you take that much time to do something because you have to do it right and you know how mm -hmm. it is done right. And mm -hmm. luckily you can do it. But I mean, there's so many things now for efficiency and to do it faster and cleaner and, you because know, make more money because it's technology. So many dentists are reimbursed based on their production. I am too, as, a, as an owner. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more I produce, the more I'm reimbursed. However, there is no pull for me to do more faster so that I'm reimbursed at a higher rate. I don't care. I cannot compromise the level of the fit and finish and the beauty of the dentistry for anything. There is no satisfaction in, in there for me. But I know a lot of young dentists that have a, a big debt load every month. And if they're paid on commission and paid in bonuses, they are going to strive to meet that threshold. And unfortunately, that is at the mercy of all these patients who get a lower level of care. It sucks. Hopefully, they'll be listening to this and find more meaning into what they're doing. And sometimes they don't know what they don't know. They have a lot of pressure to meet those goals. And those are the DSOs, I will say, that aren't so good that put that kind of pressure on a young dentist because they're learning. Look, you've been doing this over 25 years and you're still learning nuances on how to do things like it's it's Absolutely. almost like you know there's no right wrong on how you do it you every patient's different and I used to say jerry rig but I mean it's a beautiful thing in dentistry if you know how to jerry rig it to make it look beautiful 
and be sustainable. We have that tooth that you put together, it took you three and a half hours or whatever to last a lifetime. I'll give you an example of what's not done and what should be done. I'm the type of dentist on every single impression, I have the lab send the pour-ups back and I trim my own dyes. And every dentist is going to know what that means. In addition to that, I realized that the technology that we use in order to fabricate a crown requires an imaging piece to image the, and I use PVS for all of my crowns because my lab will always tell me if you want, with a good quality PVS, Harold, that you're giving me, if you use digital image takers to do your crowns, you will go down in quality. And he's just saying that from someone who's been in the biz for 25 years and does a lot of lab stuff himself. So I'll trim my own dyes. And then since I know that there's going to be a laser scanner to scan my dyes, I, I block out my own undercuts with composite very carefully. So to take one case, one bicuspid might take me 30 minutes to do one tooth when I'm in the lab to trim the dye and to block out the undercuts. What I block out the undercuts with is the same exact flowable composite that I use for virtually everything in the office. So every day, like today, I'm going to have to stay late and do a couple of die trims and a couple of lockouts on these die trims. And not only am I going to be looking under a microscope at my die, at the crown prepped, and I'll be able to critique my own work and see, is that margin, is the width of that margin correct? Is the axial walls at the correct angle of, is there the correct amount of parallelism? Is the taper correct? Do I have any undercuts that are more than I would have liked? Is my margin angled at the correct angle circumferentially? Is it perfect? I knew you were and going I, there. <laughs> I knew you were going there. And then I use that composite to block out the intercuts. So I am practicing an extra hour a day or so using that composite. It is very difficult to maneuver and use, but I'm practicing every single day. And I've been doing it for 25 years. How many more hours have I logged? If you're talking, let's talk Kobe Bryant. He yeah. was always a big fan of, I'm going to get up at four in the morning and I'm going to have practice before the Laker workout. So I've already gotten an, another hour and a half workout. I'm ahead of everybody else by an hour and a half. If I do that every single day times 365, that's almost 500 extra hours that I've worked. No one will ever catch me by the time I'm 30 years old. And I asked my lab, how many people do this? How many other dentists? How many dentists do you have that you work with? He said, I have about 80. And I said, how many people do it? He said, none. You're the only one. So if I'm the only one who's practicing that extra bit every single day, who's going to touch me in terms of my ability to create a perfect frown prep and a resin, an interproximal resin that won't ever leak? How many people are going to be able to deliver that level of service and care to each and every patient? Nobody. I'm sure there's somebody, but I just, if 80 dentists out of all 80, nobody else does it. Does anybody care anymore? I know. I, I just can't figure well, it out. A couple of things here. Okay. So you love that too. So you love the little bit. That's kind of one of your things. Some people have well, to. Well, I want to deliver the best possible product for someone who has taken the risk in yeah. trusting me to help them manage their oral care. Wow. You want me to be the one to oversee your oral care? Oh my gosh, that's a big responsibility. And mm -hmm. I want to make sure I deliver my best to you. You trust me, you're going to get my best work. Yeah. How was it not done that way? I don't know. You know what? Let's just hope that it will be done that way for the future of dentistry and the future of our patients. And just for you looking yourself in the mirror and using your skills and actually training young associates to follow in your footsteps. That's really again, what it's going to take. Knowing what you know about dental hygiene, wouldn't you agree that the entire patient experience coming in for recall is 
hey, hygienist, start talking to the patient about getting that crown done and getting that filling done. If you see any decay, point it out to them. Talk to them about flossing. If they haven't been flossing daily, we may need to do this filling in this crown. The, the preparation process for getting the patient ready to say yes to a procedure starts the minute you walk in the door, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, That's yeah. Not the way, it's not the way we do it. I, I, that, well, I, I don't think it's the way it should be done. And I agree. And, and I think that's why you are so successful and you have had such a great practice and a great reputation in the industry. And, you know, again, that's the way it should be done. We should do our best for the patient first and not take shortcuts. And that's what you're doing. You know how to do it right, but you also are good at it. And you just upped your game. And speaking of games... Yeah, I want to say I gave you a Kobe Bryant reference to help I, you segue. I into, know. That's what I'm just you know, thinking. Okay. Speaking of games and speaking yeah. of Kobe, thank you for sharing all that about your clinical aspects of dentistry and your love for people and what you're providing, Harold. I mean, that just really means a lot to me. It just makes my heart sing that I chose the right profession as well, and I was lucky to work with you. But the one of the things I wanted to share on this podcast, and one of the things I think makes you extremely interesting and successful is that you have a side gig. And Dr. Laura Brenner, if you're listening, she's a side gig queen. She needs to meet you someday because you've got a side gig that I just think is so cool. We're a basketball family, and apparently you are too. I think every dentist needs a little side gig because then you don't sweat the small stuff. If somebody cancels, you know, you've got a little bit of free time. In your free time, you can do your little side gig and work on these things. And you have built this incredible collection, if you will. I mean, you walk in the office and it is like a museum. So how did you get involved and how did you get interested in, in collecting? I want to say it's art. You collect art in the arena of sports. I think that's fair to say. Just to give you a little quick story about how important basketball is in the family. So I have six boys and a lot of them play basketball, not all of them, but the youngest one who's eight years old and I'm watching him shoot around. I'm like, okay, how many did you make in a row? 10, 12? What? Yeah, yeah, I'm just fooling around. I'm like, yeah, okay, but that's looking really good. And, you know, my 11 and 13 year old are hoop nuts and great. And I love watching them. And then the eight year old says, dad, I'm not sure if I like basketball. And I said, sleeping outside is going to be tough for a while, but the minute you change your mind, you can come back in. So that's the sort of the joke that I use that I told oh him one time. Oh my God. And he's good. Um, just wait. He's just eight. Wait, wait till he gets to time. be, you know, yeah, we got some time. We got time. But I would tell you that ever since I was six years old, opening baseball card packs with my brother, collecting baseball cards was just something I did all the time. And then I saw, oh, there's something called a baseball card convention. Dad, Howard Johnson's is having a baseball card convention. Can we go? Okay, let's go. So I'm seeing some of the cards that I have at home. Let's say a Pete Rose card or an Eddie Murray rookie card. And I have them at home and they're selling for 10 bucks. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have three of those. I'm 11 years old, 12 years old. And I see $30 worth of cards just from three. It blew my mind. So I said, dad, we got to go back to the house so I can get these cards and sell them, which I did. And then I went out and bought more packs of cards and I got more cards that were value. I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen or imagined in my life that I can sell stuff for money, get the money, buy more stuff, get more money. Couldn't believe it. That's what started the fever and being able to buy more cards. I also was always a Harold's lawn service, Harold's car washing service, so on and so forth. There's always sort of a- You're very entrepreneurial. Yes, right. My <laughs> shoveling snow being the first one out there, because if you're not the first one out there, you're not getting it. Yeah. For shoveling snow, as you know, you know, the combination of 
being interested in earning money, being interested in sort of business and then being able to buy and sell the baseball cards, I kept doing it, kept doing it. So even in undergrad and dental, I would take some of my dental school loan money. I would buy a few cards. And at this point, the cards were more expensive. It was more sort of like a Bill Russell rookie card or a Wilt Chamberlain rookie card. I'd buy it and then sell it at the end of the year for a 50% return. So my I was able to utilize student loan money, pay off what I had to pay off and then have some extra spending money to buy more cards. So that has continued. Here I am now as a 54-year-old and I've continued to buy and sell cards on the side. And here's the beauty of it. And we've talked about this before. <laughs> With dentistry, I may not be a football player, an NFL player or a basketball player. Too bad I'm not a basketball player, but we use our bodies to earn a living. I'm not blocking anybody and I'm not running the ball and I'm not scoring baskets, but I am sitting in a chair bent over all day long mm -hmm. and it's hard on the body and you got to take care of your body. And if you get an injury, God forbid, to your eye, your finger, your hand, your back, you your could hip. be out of work or hip. <laughs> mm -hmm. You could be out of work. My backup plan is I have all these cards and different memorabilia pieces sitting around. I've become sort of an expert in the history of basketball and through my, just the joy of learning about Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, et cetera. I only sort of invest in things I know more than anybody. And I know more than most about the history of basketball. I think this year I may have, if I had wanted to not work for six months, I probably could have, if I had chosen to sell even a small portion of the stuff that I have. Knowing that if I did get in a car accident, or God forbid, or something happened, I fell off a bike, I broke my arm, my right arm that you know I hold the drill with, I would be able to, with six boys, still be able to sell stuff on the internet and make a living with this sidekick. You know, especially for a dentist who, you don't think about them as professional athletes, but they are definitely using their body to earn a living. Yeah. And if that body breaks down or has a problem, you have no recourse at that point. If that, you're the clinician, which right. I am, I encourage my current associate to think about this. That, you know, he's young. He doesn't have to worry about it too, too much yet, but he has a baby on the way. Okay. And there will be more financial responsibilities and future financial responsibilities. Best to start thinking about the whole side gig thing. Yeah. You had a really great plan B that you're very excited about as well. I don't want that to be my second career. I'm not interested in that as a second career. I really would like to be doing stuff with four people. And the card thing is just making money out of thin air. I don't, I don't, yeah, but I'm not so interested. Yeah, I know. But it's just nice to have something that is like a little bit of an insurance. It gives you yes, joy. It takes you out of the mouth. And gives it's you essential. Yeah. I think it's essential for someone like a dentist, like a doctor to have that backup plan. If you own the business as a dentist and you're not practicing anymore, fine. Not as big a requirement to have the sidekick. But I'll tell you, during COVID, it sure saved my butt with having six kids. And I think it gives you more balance in your career and you don't sweat the small stuff as much. I don't mean necessarily a plan B. I just mean if something happens, you've got something to fall back on for a short term. Right. This is what I love about something like that side gig is that you can still stay in dentistry. So if you decide you want to go from five days a week to four days a week to three days a week to two days a week, you can still balance all that out because don't forget, you've got six kids to send through college. I have to put a bummer on that, but that's the reality. Yep. And it is true. I never thought about it that you actually do use your body to the point of an athlete. 
Yes, and, you do. Um, and it's and, just, it's a marathon thing. I happen to work five days a week and someone might say, well, that's too much. You give your body some more rest. I understand all those things, but I do the amount of yoga, stretching, weights that I do virtually every day, especially after work, to try to unwind the damage or, or the stress that I put on my body for that day. I work pretty darn hard, and I'll be doing that right after this podcast, to work to preserve my physicality. Now, there will be a tipping point, I'm sure, where no matter what I do, there's a decline in my physical progress, I'm sure. And maybe I would go to four days a week. And I also don't work fast. That one crown today, three and a half hours, I'm not there the whole time. My assistant happens to be making that temporary crown. But I am going to bend into whatever pretzel position I need to, to make sure that like this tooth needed to be done perfectly. All the angles, all the preparation points needed to be perfect for this to work. So I am going to do whatever pretzeling I need to do to ensure the success of that. And it was a lot for that one. It was a lot. I'm just so proud of you because not only do you do that for the crown, you're still, you're doing it for yourself to preserve yourself as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as somebody that's going to live a long life and mm -hmm. really contribute to our profession. I'm just so thankful that you were here today to share that. When I, when we get our video crew in, I'd love to do a tour of the office just so everybody can see not only just some of the uh, magic of your pictures of before and afters, but of some of the athletes that we've got displayed in your office that are just fun and fascinating, especially for the, the young people that come in and they say, oh, wow, Dr. Sterner, he is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, he is, is very fun. cool. It's very fun for young and old alike, men yeah. and women alike. My um, husband, I, for one, you yep. know, he loves it, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice conversation starter. It is a nice thing to do while you're waiting for something or the dentist come back, you're free to walk around and look at some of the stuff. And so many people have mentioned, like, wow, this is just, it takes my mind off the dental thing. Do you mind if I take pictures? Oh, this is so cool. I want to show my college buddy. It has added a lot to the practice and separated us and made us unique. It's truly your brand, honestly. It's, again, when you think about the elite athletes, I would say you're in the category of elite dentist. And I want to say thank you for being here today. This was so much fun. It's going to be posting out pretty soon, so I'll let you know about that. How can people find you, Harold, if they want to hear a little bit more about dentistry or your side gig? Obviously, we have a website, and I would say the website is being revamped to, you and I talked about this, I want to do some podcasting myself. And so we are in the midst of revamping the website, but the, the old website is still up and the new, you know, there'll be a seamless launch. So it's sternerdentistry.com. If you want a personal invitation, just reach out to me and I will do that. How's that sound? And we'll have that in the show notes. Any dentists that are looking to sharpen their game, sharpen their skill set, like when my associate who is super talented, let's make no mistake about it, sees some of he's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. What's that? I never learned that. Yeah, I made it up. How'd you figure it out in like 25 years of expanding guardrails yeah. and practicing? I mean, all of us dentists love to talk shop. Anybody who wants to talk shop about how to do this, how to do that, how do you fix this? We sort of pride ourselves on coming up with individual unique solutions for each individual unique patient. And so there's been a couple times where specialists will be like, I've never seen that. And I don't know of anybody who can do that. Except I guess you did it because I don't, I don't even know what I'm looking at, <laughs> but, but it's so cool. So you're willing to share your secret sauce. I would so love to, hey, if I can steal even a small pearl from anybody else to use in my own practice to make my patients healthier, I'll be happy to and give full credit, of course, to whoever is willing to provide me with that pearl. I would love to learn 
a new little something. Keep it up then. You would just keep this conversation going. We're going to get you back on here again. Honestly, for all of you that are listening tonight and today, most importantly, as I would say to you, Harold, keep doing you. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you the Thanks, next time. Thanks, Sam, for having me. Yeah, you bet. You bet. <laughs>